Hello, and welcome to Minding the Forest, a podcast of the Louisiana Forestry Association. I'm your host, Jeff Zarek. In Minding the Forest, we talk about how important sustainable forestry is for everyone, how it benefits our economy, and the importance of keeping forests as forests. If you'd like to get notifications when a new episode of Mind of the Forest is released, click on subscribe on your favorite podcast directory, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and you'll know when a new episode is ready. We have with us today Dr. Joseph Chang. He is the Professor of Forest Policy, Economics, and Management at LSU. Dr. Chang, good to have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself for those who may not know you. I went to Harvard University for a master's degree in forest economics and then moved on to University of Wisconsin for my PhD in forest economics and management. And after that, I was actually stayed at University of Kentucky for 12 years uh, in the Department of Forestry there for 12 years. Then in 1991, I uh, had the opportunity to come down to Louisiana uh, to be the professor of forest economics policy and management, and I've been here since. So this is the thirty-second year. I guess you prefer the South as far as the cold oh, yes. winters. Yes. <laughs> um, Louisiana weather-wise is fairly similar to uh, Taiwan, where I grew up, and so we enjoy the. Uh, landscape, and we also enjoy the weather. Uh, some people may think it's too hot for us. That's just right. <laughs> We're glad to have you here in Louisiana. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Our subject today is forest economics, and, mm-hmm. and that is your forte. But I think that's a subject that some people may not mm-hmm. understand very well. Tell us a little about what forest economics is. Forest economics for most people are the supply, especially for the landowners, we're fundamentally interested in understanding the supply and demand for timber uh, because that's where their source of income is coming from. And so we're interested in the income elasticity and price elasticity of the demand. We're also interested in the price elasticity of the supplies uh, as far as um, the forest economics is concerned. Uh, something else I'm also doing uh, involves um, the carbon trading that um, we're trying to understand how the tra- carbon trading actually works and how that could actually benefit the landowners. And last but not least, I also have some ideas about how best to structure the uh, carbon dioxide trading on a global basis so that different countries could actually uh, figure out how best to reduce their carbon dioxide emissions instead of dumping CO2 as as junks into the uh, so-called commons. Okay, many things in that. Let's, let's start with the supply. Louisiana mm-hmm. is considered a, a very good Wood basket. Yes, we have a we lot are. of wood around the state, north part of the state, southeast part of the state, and we'll just jump right into it off the bat. We've had some good news in the last mm-hmm. year. Yeah. We've got three new mills being built in Louisiana: one up in Taylor, another one up in Plain Dealing, to North Louisiana, another mm-hmm. one 
in uh, DeRitter in South DeRitter, Louisiana. Right. Yes. And then um, there's also uh, the old uh, G- GP, mill. GP mill in De Quincey. De Quincey that's now, that's now up and running. So yes. Plus expansion at Holden by Weyerhaeuser. Okay. And expanded at, at warehouses. Those are things that will certainly boost the rural economy. In Very much products. so. It seems like there have there've been these developments in other states in the southeast United States, and Louisiana's kind of finally getting there. Why do you suppose it's taken a little bit longer for Louisiana? I'm not really sure. My impression is that um, it will come in due time. Hmm. Uh, I think finally it came around to us. And my impression is that we're not that far behind, actually. Really? No, not really. Most of the uh, investment nowadays, when you actually look at it, uh, other than the one by the Hunt family, are generally with Canadian interest. There's been several Canadian companies that have uh, reached out to Southeast United States, mm-hmm. and in some form or another, like Interfor, they acquired the plant that GP had uh, yes. idled because of COVID two right. years ago, mm-hmm. and they're back up and running. Yeah. And then you have the private companies like Hunt Forest Products and Toll Coal Industries yeah, working Canada. together. On a they have venture. a unique partnership. Their first project in LaSalle seems to be going very well, well, right. well enough to, to pursue another plant in, yes. in Taylor. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting twist it it mm-hmm. in talking to the hunt folks they were saying that it just formed a good partnership they were looking for that partnership mm-hmm. is that sort of a pattern that we can expect to see for the future we're probably going to see more canadian investment in the u.s south we have always been told that the canadian uh, timber resources are cheap and the government of canada are subsidizing their forest product industry, the very fact that the Canadian company are coming down south may suggest something that's a little bit different. Maybe the timber resource in the U.S. south are actually cheaper than the Canadian uh, wood. Is it possibly more, uh, more plentiful than what's available in Canada as far as what's accessible? I think I think it's it's more more of an issue of um, what they used to be called the timber supply issues. As the the mills start logging, now keep in mind most of the Canadian mills are close to the U.S. border, and so they are actually marching northward. And every step of the way as they march northward, they are a little bit further away from their sawmill. And so the, their transportation, log-in transportation cost goes up a little bit more. Furthermore, as you march north, the trees get smaller. And consequently, your log-in costs then gradually increase and creep up on you. Distance is also a little bit further, so then you have the transportation problem. It seems I recall there was talk of some disease issues. Yeah, there's that the part of uh, mountain pine with. beetle mountain pine beetle attacks and there's several million acres of the Canadian forest in Alberta and the east side of British Columbia that were actually affected. They try to salvage as much as they can but then eventually you reach the point where 
you cannot get them all. And I think that is now causing a problem in terms of the resource for the sawmills. Mm-hmm. And that they are now beginning to realize that south here in the United States uh, is where the resource is truly sustainable. We welcome them. We're glad mm-hmm. to have them part of our economy. And actually, Ken Forrest said that their sawmill capacity in the U.S. South is larger than the capacity in Canada. Really? So then you raise an interesting question. Uh, is Canfor really a Canadian company anymore? Can they move their entire operation to the United States? Or would they even have a desire to do that? I, prob- I doubt a problem. So from the landowner's perspective, let's talk about that a little bit. They go through great pains, I think, sometimes to mm. make sure that they have the best timber that they can grow. Mm-hmm. And I guess the economics of supply and demand right now is the demand is higher on the finished product than it actually is on the supply because we have such a good supply of mm-hmm. timber to be harvested. How long do you think when these plants come online, these mills come online, how long do you think that might start reflecting a better price for landowners? Right now, the so-called gross drain ratio, i.e. the amount of timber we're growing over the amount of timber we're harvesting, is uh, 1.8 to 1. Okay, so explain what that means. Meaning that we're growing 80% more timber than we're harvesting. And so it's unlikely that we're going to see significant increase in the timber prices in the foreseeable future. And based on one of the studies we had done with the quarterly data in Louisiana, we found out that the timber supply has elasticity of three, i.e. it means that if the price of timber goes up by 10%, the timber quantity will go up by 30%. And that increase would easily overwhelm the price increases, and then the price will come down very quickly. My feeling is that we should not expect quick and dramatic increase in prices, uh, at least for the next few years. I guess Louisiana is doing an excellent job of replacing more than than we're, we're harvesting. harvesting, and to the capacity that we're pretty much at a level. Uh, as far as cost is concerned on the mm-hmm. supply mm-hmm. end of the wood basket. Yes. Well, that's one of the reasons the um, investors are finding Louisiana to be so attractive because we're going so, growing so much more timber uh, over the amount of timber we're harvesting. So there's an assurance that uh, we will not run out of wood, shall we say. I guess the misconceptions that some folks have of deforestation just doesn't exist in Louisiana. Well, if we're growing 80% more timber than we're harvesting, then how can we be actually deforesting the Louisiana landscape? What sort of research is LSU working on right now as far as forest policy and forest economics? Right now, most of my research is actually focused on the forest management under price uncertainty and volume risk. We're trying to figure out how best to actually help the landowner address the the problem of price uncertainty because when the landowner actually plant the trees, 
they are really just not going to be assured of a timber price some 30 years down the road. And so the question then is how can we actually create the environment where such assurance could actually exist? And at the same time, uh, natural disasters and man-made disasters could actually destroy your timber. And how do you protect such downside risk is what I'm doing right now. That seems to be pretty appropriate, especially in the last two years with mm-hmm. uh, Hurricane Laura and Hurricane Ida on either side of the state. So if you look at both years, roughly, uh, uh, well, more than a million acres of timber has been damaged. Not necessarily destroyed, but certainly damaged. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do we recover from that just to, to continue the sustainability practices that we're doing? Well, there are two sides to that. Obviously, if you have lost your timber, then if you have the financial resources, then the best thing to do is to go back in and plant the trees and to get started over again. Now, along the way, landowners may want to consider the possibility of buying a timber insurance. Timber insurance used to be fairly expensive, but recently, um, I think with more company getting into the business, the rate for timber insurance now seems to be much more reasonable and uh, would be worse the trouble of landowners to actually look at them and consider the cost and benefit and see if it's worth their trouble to buy the timber insurance. If I were a private landowner, I would seriously consider. So this is purchasing insurance for your timber based on the possibility that it could be destroyed by... By fire, hurricane, insect disease, so on and so forth. I wasn't aware that... It's now available, yes. Yeah, Yeah. okay. So that's a consideration for landowners. Yes, they should. And living in hurricane, not well, mm-hmm. yeah, in a mm-hmm. on the Gulf with the hurricanes, that mm-hmm. could be a, a big benefit to them. Well, the economics basically taught us, you know, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. But if you are a small private landowner, then you may own say 160 acres or whatever in one lot, and then essentially you are putting all your eggs in just that one property. And so then it behooved us, i.e. the landowners, to actually then seriously look at the possibility of buying insurance to protect them against those downside risks. You had mentioned earlier about the carbon sequestration Mm. and carbon credits, things Mm. of that nature that are now available to some landowners. There's Mm -hmm. a few programs out there right now. It seems as though that would be a big benefit, especially maybe in for example, the southeast part of the state where they may hold on to their trees a little bit longer and they'll get too big for the facilities that are available in southeast Louisiana. Is the carbon route a good consideration for them? I think carbon should be an integral part of your management, but I would advise against thinking strictly uh, of managing just for carbon. The amount of money that's paid for the carbon sequestration uh, is, relatively speaking, small. Typically, somewhere around, maybe say, eight, six to $8 per acre per year. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't actually bank on that as your sole source of timber income. 
let's go back to the 100 acre example that you mm-hmm. used and you plan to maybe harvest 40 of, of that mm-hmm. so then the, the other 60 you could put into a carbon sequestration program yeah for for the duration that you want to hold on to it yeah okay. but and, by and large you get six to eight dollars an acre a year okay and so it's not a a major major come income it's comparable to say a hunting lease kind of income and so typically people look at it and say oh that's the income I can pay the property tax. In addition, I guess, to the hunting leases and in that fashion, you could kind of bank on, yeah. on expecting the same thing. Something. And, yeah. and, but also keeping in mind that you don't actually start getting into the carbon credit market until you have merchantable timber. So that will typically be somewhere around 10 to 12, 14 years or so. Okay. So the first few years, the trees were too small, so they, there's no meaning for carbon sequestration per se. Let's talk about that. What are the requirements that these companies are looking for when, uh, if you have property and you want to offer it for carbon sequestration? What are they looking at? One of the, the, the vendors, shall we say, uh, would actually accommodate even down to one acre, and they also, interestingly enough, they actually offer one-year contracts. And, but they, they also require that the trees to be merchantable size. They will sign the contract. They will tell you how many units you are sequestering based on their model to predict how fast the trees will grow. And then they will actually sign a contract and they will pay you at the end of the period, i.e. at the end of the one year, when they actually were able to verify how many tons of carbon dioxide you have actually sequestered based on the model that they actually monitor the growth of your stand. So they have the formulas and models that calculate how much carbon is sequestered by each acre? Each acre, based based on inventory data, their uh, satellite imageries and also their growth and yield projections. But you have to have trees that are at least somehow, ready for pulpwood. Somehow merchantable, yes. Yeah. Okay. Is that catching on? I think it's slowly catching on, but not fast enough. <laughs> how, how long do you think that would take before that becomes, uh, uh, I guess, common knowledge among forest landowners? I hesitate to venture to guess. <laughs> you know, um, you, you can never tell. Okay. Yeah. So what else is new and up and coming for landowners that they should, what are the subjects that they should be paying attention to or seeking research on? Or Timber taxation has always been very, very interesting to the landowners. Okay. And one of the things we're doing now is to actually demonstrate that the tax treatment for timber owners have been fairly favorable all these years. The argument shouldn't be the tax burdens anymore because the timberland has been treated very favorably for a long time. Instead, I think what we're beginning to realize is that the amount of services that the timberland are getting are also fairly small. So 
in well, trees don't go to school, for example. Right. And consequently, if they're not paying comparable amount with, say, a residential property, that should be expected, and then, then therefore, they should be um, treated as such. Do you think that's where local governments are looking for more income? There's always a, a debate on the severance taxes. It's been pitched as this is how you take care of your roads because you need roads in order to, to harvest the resources. Now they're looking at more income and still big trucks on the road, not just, not just logger trucks. Mm. Government always looking for more money, that's for sure. <laughs> Especially the local governments, okay? Yeah. On the one hand, you want to be able to collect the tax. On the other hand, you don't want the tax to be too heavy to scare people away. And that's pretty much it. Do you think that if there's any sort of effect on severance taxes, could that be negative for the landowners and not give them the incentive to continue to have forested land? Could it be that serious? If our severance tax stays away we are now, I don't think it's going to have any effect. If we start thinking about increasing the severance tax, on the margin, they may have a little bit of effect, but I'm not convinced that it's going to be all that serious. One other thing we should actually emphasize to all the people is that timber is the number one agricultural crop in Louisiana. For example, uh, in 2019, Timber is worth $900 million, and that's larger than all the other crops, uh, such as sugar, such as rice, such as soybeans, and such as um, cotton. $900 million, that's just... Just a farm value. From farm harvested. Farm value, yes. From what was harvested. Yes. Okay. That's a huge chunk to the economy. I think there's a disconnect between timber I, as, a, as an agricultural product because it's not a row crop. It's not harvested every year from the same acreage. No, but if you actually look at it in aggregates, timber is harvested every year. And in recent years, our values are in general around the $900 million mark. And once upon a time, we actually exceed $1 billion, and but has come down because of lower stumpage prices. The irony of all this is basically this, okay? We hear coverages of soybeans and rice and cotton in the press all the time uh, about how important they are. In reality, the most important crop in Louisiana is timber, okay? On top of the crop value, we also have the largest value added. Explain what that means. Value added means the the difference between what you sold your products for and what your raw material cost is, plus all the other expendables, ex- except labor cost. Okay, let's say you have a sawmill and you bought the wood for a hundred dollars and you sold the timber for two hundred dollars, but along the way you actually pay say twenty dollars and for electricity and say for expendable like oils and lubricants and whatever. And then your value added will be $80. Because we didn't include the labor cost, that means what? Well, that $80 was actually created by the labor. Okay. okay. 
Why would you not include the labor cost? In, in because the they want to have a measure of the in contribution of labor. Altogether, the important thing to realize is, is what we call the value added, because that's when you actually have the secondary effects. Those effects are especially important in the rural communities. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of, the, the rural communities. Uh, the this interesting is vital. thing here is this. Uh, Louisiana is f- more or less 56% forested, if you look at the land base, okay? As I just said, timber is the number one crop in the state agriculture economy. What is even more important than that is that all the manufacturers in the state are all in rural communities. So the forest and the forest product industry is critical to the rural uh, prosperity and stability and viability, vitality for Louisiana countryside. And... It behoove us to actually pay attention to these uh, rural communities because um, it's easy to look at, say, the urban centers because urban centers typically are much more vibrant. And when a plant in a rural community comes, it actually gives the rural community a major, major boost. And conversely, when a mill closed down, was a serious, serious uh, detriment to those communities. So as these new facilities come online, then that revitalizes, revitalizes the many local of the, many of, And I mean, if you are a small rural community, it doesn't take 100 jobs to really make a big, big difference. You know? And then most of the sawmills now we're talking about are all talking about two, 300 jobs. And so that has to have a very positive effect. Uh, on the prosperity and the stability and vitality of many of these rural communities. We're an integral part of the state economy, and we should be proud of that. Dr. Joseph Chang, Professor of Forest Policy, Economics, and Management at LSU. Doc, thank you much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Mind of the Forest, a podcast of the Louisiana Forestry Association. If you'd like to learn more about sustainable forestry, the LFA and its programs, and how you can be part of an organization that supports landowners, loggers, and wood manufacturers in Louisiana, go to our website, www.laforestry.com. Questions and comments can be sent via email to jzerang, J-Z-E-R-I-N-G-U-E, at laforestry.com. And remember, at the Louisiana Forestry Association, we're minding the forest for you. Thank you.